Um, our reading today will be taken from Romans, uh, Romans 8, verse 18 through to verse 30. If I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of that that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called accordingly to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of God. Thanks again for uh, the invite, David, and, and it's good to be with you once again. I think I was, I was here, um, I think 2020, or just before the pandemic. Yeah. So it's good to be back um, here again. Please keep your, your Bibles open to the passage we've just, uh, it's been read for us. I'll pray for us and then we will, we'll get to look into God's word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is life to us. Thank you that your word is truth. Uh, that your word brings words of encouragement, uh, words of direction. Uh, it gives us light when we walk in darkness. And I pray that now your word would be um, that word of encouragement. For those of us who have come weak, for those of us who have come discouraged, those of us who have come confused, and those who have come indifferent. And I pray that your word would be um, a word of um, a season in our lives. I pray that now what we do not know, may you teach us. What we are not, may you make us. And what we have not, may you give us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I gather you've been going through this uh, series in, in, the, in the book of Romans, uh, specifically the chapter of Romans 8. Uh, the chapter of Romans 8 has been sort of, people have said, it's, it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Um, not just whether it's, it's, it's Old or New Testament, it's literally one of the greatest um, verses, I mean, chapters in, in the Bible. Um, it's very packed with just good news and uh, telling us about or speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a really, really beautiful, beautiful chapter. And what we see in this chapter, it's, it starts off... Uh, Paul giving us this declaration that there is now no condemnation for those who are 
in Christ Jesus. Just beautiful words, assuring words that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there's now, therefore now no condemnation. Just thinking through that, in, especially in a cultural moment, in a world of, of, of naming and shaming and, and canceling, what does it mean for us to have a, a secure place where a non-accusing place, and we have that in Christ. That's what Paul is saying at the beginning, to say we, we have, if for those of us who are in Christ, the, 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 the realm of condemnation where when we did things, we're waiting, we don't know what God uh, sort of is going to do about this, is going to say about this. We are in a place where there is no condemnation. And he tells us, he continues to speak to us about the work of, of the Spirit in our lives. He so said, we've been transferred from this, re, from this realm of sin and death, and now we have life in the Spirit. He speaks to us about uh, that we are now uh, children of God. We're not condemned. Uh, we, are, we don't owe anything to the flesh. We are not debtors now to the flesh. That's one of the things he says. We, we, do, we, don't, we, don't, we, we don't have to pay the flesh when the flesh wants to do something with us. We don't, we don't have to, we're not debtors to the flesh. We are now people walking in the spirit. And then he continues with this thought of being children of God, and he takes it even further. He says that we're not only children of God, but we are heirs with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. He says then, if we are heirs with Christ, we are heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. This is when actually he uses this word of suffering. He starts this, this thought of talking about uh, suffering. He's, he, he's saying this to say, we have moved from this uh, place of slavery to being this place of being co-heirs with Christ in glory and exaltation that the Father gives to Christ. We are now co-heirs with Christ in that, provided that we suffer with him. Which is almost like a, it's coming out of nowhere, this, this topic of suffering that Paul is talking about. But he wants us to get, an, uh, to get us to understand that for us to be in glory with Christ, here's the path that goes to glory. The path that goes to glory uh, starts in suffering, as it was with Christ, provided you share with him and you share with him in his sufferings. Now, for those who are married, or, or people would know that if you, when you get married, whether you're marrying, you're marrying in, in, in proper communal property, all of those things, but whatever your partner has, if your partner is rich, there's a sense that you're also in. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a sense that, you know, we're all good. You know, if, if, if your partner goes from wrecks to riches, you go through wrecks to riches with your partner. You're part of that, you know. Now, Paul is saying here is the path for Christ is suffering to glory. And for those of us who are in Christ, who are sort of joined with Christ, we, we, we get in on that. It becomes part of our lives. So suffering is not just something, it becomes part of, for us to get to glory, we go to the rags with Christ and we will go to glory with him. Which is why he's bringing this uh, topic of, of suffering. He, he, he needs us to understand that. Now, when you talk about suffering, it's a very tough subject. It's a very mysterious subject. It's a very sensitive subject. In fact, um, 
for people who are non-Christians, the people who don't believe, it's one of the big things that some of them will contribute to, to say, actually, I don't, the issue of suffering, the issue of, of being, God being there, but they're suffering. It's a, it's a big issue. For those who don't believe, it's, it's a big issue, but also for Christians. For Christians, the, 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 the topic or the, the, the thinking on suffering is difficult even for them because it's almost like there's a myth you know, that goes around to say, if I'm living according to the word of God, I'm living a, a good Christian life as it were, then I shouldn't suffer. So when that happens, it becomes also something mysterious and, and it becomes a trouble even with God's people to say, how can I... I'm not supposed this. I mean, we might not say that, but this is what we're thinking. This is what we're thinking. I mean, I've been going to church. I've been doing this, all of these things. And then the suffering comes. It becomes a huge thing. So for non-Christians, for Christians, suffering remains this mysterious thing, this, this thing that we, we fail to grasp. And suffering comes in different forms and ways. Different ways, small scale, big scale, but the thing about suffering, suffering comes. It comes to those who are doing well in life, to those who are not doing well in life, it comes. Suffering exists in our lives directly or indirectly. You could be going through suffering, um, but also you, you could have someone you love going through suffering. And because someone you love is going through suffering, you go through suffering. So it's around us. Suffering does not discriminate. Class, race, anything. Suffering comes to the mansion. It comes to uh, a shack. It, cam- it comes everywhere, to everyone. And Paul explains why that is, even in our text. We may not suffer the same things, but we cannot escape the reality of suffering. And again, even Jesus did not escape the reality of of suffering. And, 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 I, and I think this is a really good point, and I'll get to that later. In fact, that Jesus, the loved one of the Father, the one that the Father loved before the world began, they existed in this Trinitarian love, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the love of God flows from the Father to the Son, to the Spirit. This love that's been there, the Father loves the Son. We can't even comprehend that. But that son, he came and walked in this life and did not, was not exempt from suffering. And that's a theological truth for us to grasp because when suffering happens, it has nothing to do with God's love for you. The same father who loved the son, but the son went through suffering. It had nothing to do with the love for the son. It has nothing to do with the father's love for you. The father has set his love on his people. So what we see in our text, actually, just at the beginning in verse 8, in verse 18, Paul starts with this. For I, for I consider the sufferings of this present times are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. It says, here are the suffering that are happening right now. And these sufferings, you, you can't compare them 
to the glory that is to come. You can't compare, compare them to the glory that is to be revealed. Again, he's encouraging God's people. He's encouraging God's people. Now, this is all over the New Testament, this, this understanding of this momentary sufferings and the glory to come. We see that in 1 Peter 4. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be, and be glad when his glory is revealed. You share with him his suffering, you will share with him in his glory. 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary afflictions is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is prepared for us, that is beyond all comparison. Now this is not to minimize the reality of suffering. It's not to say, just relax, there's a glory coming. It's not to minimize the the reality of suffering, but it's to show us the, the glimpse of the glory to come. A glimpse of the glory. You know, there's, there, there's something, today is what, the 20th? The 20th. People, most of the people get paid on the 25th. There, there's something about suffering on the 23rd. <laughs> because there's, there's glory that's coming. You know what I mean? There's glory that's coming. And, 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 and Paul wants us to, to sort of grasp that, to say, have a different posture with suffering. Because something is coming. There's a glory that's coming. Our sufferings are real and they're painful. But at the same time, God is at work even in our sufferings. Christians are not exempt to suffering. We are not exempt to suffering because we live in this fallen world. We share in this fallen world. Creation is not the way it is supposed to be, which is what uh, Paul again wants to talk uh, to us in terms of understanding this suffering. For, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But not only creation, but we ourselves, we ourselves, we've also, we, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons and redemption of our bodies. Now, Paul, what he does here, he, he, he puts us together with what, what has happened to creation. And he's saying this has happened, it's the same thing that has happened with us. Now, I do want to take us back to Genesis 3, what we, is normally called the fall, where the, we see the introduction of sin. With what happens there with the introduction of sin and the curse that comes in in creation and the sin that starts happening with, with man and, and, and around now to say, the, the, sin affected everything. It affected creation. It affected our relationships. It affected everything. What we saw in Genesis 1 and 2, what God declared as good. Creation, the relationship between uh, man and creation, man and himself, all of these things, they're working together. What, what the, the concept of shalom that we see in the scriptures. There was, a there was a dissemination of shalom. And when you talk about shalom, shalom is, is, is the understanding of the flourishing of the world. Flourishing not just of the world, of us as God's people. 
in our lives, uh, shalom with our relationship, shalom with ourselves. To say, even just the relationship with me has been tampered with. There's something, I'm like, what's going on? My emotional health, my mental health, all of these things. My rela- relationship, just, just me, relationship with the people around me, with creation, with work. Everything is not where it's supposed to be. There's no shalom. And we share in that world. The fall affected everything in this world. And therefore, uh, Peter, when he says, do not be surprised at fiery trials as something strange was happening. Peter says, don't be thrown off by suffering. It's, it's, It's part of what's happening here. It will come. And when it comes, be ready. Don't be thrown off. Because, friends, you just keep breathing, it will come. Suffering, suffering, suffering. Peter says, don't be surprised. Paul says, it's nothing compared to what's coming, to what's to be revealed to us. And Paul is saying, don't, don't, he's not saying, don't cry. Don't, you, you need to cry, you need to grieve. You do what you need to do. But don't let it rattle the foundations of your faith. Paul is saying here, on our way to glory, we will face groanings because things are not the way they're supposed to be. We will groan the political upheavals that are happening. We will groan the, the social unrest in our country. We will groan work stress. We will groan emotional issues. We will groan relational back, back, I mean, uh, breakdowns. We will groan sickness. All of these thing, things we, is the groanings that we go through. Life is filled with groanings. Life is filled with groanings. And it can, some, it can feel like it's like soul-crushing and just heart-wrenching when we go through these things. But they happen. Someone once said, life is full of pain. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. <laughs> it's full of pain. It's full of pain. And the thing is, friends, and we will see here, God never wastes our suffering. He never wastes our suffering. But here's something that happens in our suffering. Suffering has a way of, of revealing our real standing with God. It has a way of, of, of really revealing where we are with God. You really want to know your motives and your foundations of your faith? You will never find them in, ter- in terms of prosperity. You will find them in suffering. You will find them in suffering exactly where you are. C.S. Lewis once said in his book, Grief Observed, he says, nothing will shake a man out of his sort of notional beliefs. Only under suffering does he discover it himself. If my house was a house of cards, the sooner it was knocked down, the better. And only suffering can do that. If my house is made up of cards, if I've built not on the rock, but on the sand, the only thing or the thing that will really show you that is when you go through suffering. I mean, I've been a Christian for a while, more than 10 years, by God's grace. And there were friends of mine who've worked with me who, who were just models in terms of the faith who we've walked with. Some of them discipled me. Some of them I've discipled them. We've walked through life together. And in this life, as we walked, and as I sort of reflect, 
Some of them are not there anymore. Some of them, you, you don't want to bring Christianity or church, anything around them anymore. And interesting, when I think about it, when I look about what has happened in their lives, most of them, the common, the common denominator that, that got them where they are, is suffering. Something happened. Sickness happened. Someone cheated on them. Someone special dumped them. They didn't get the person they want. The work, the career that they were going for, something happened. And friends, we need to search our hearts today whether we are pursuing God for what he gives us or and when we don't get that, do we continue to follow him? We need to settle that now because suffering comes. And then Paul talks about this tension of this suffering and the glory that is to come later in this cosmic context, in this, in the, with the whole creation. He, he personifies this, this created order and is groaning from release, from anguish, as almost like a, a, the childbirth. This woman is going through childbirth. This, this, this waiting and groaning that we see as we, as, as in, in childbirth, uh, that happens in, 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 with, with the pains, but with the joy that will come later. And he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains until now. Now, the reason why creation is, is anxiously, anxiously waiting, the revelation of God's Son, as it says here, to be revealed is because it knows that they are revealed in, in, in the resurrection. Created, creation itself is next in line in terms of the, the release from the corruption that it finds itself in. Now remember, this is what happens in Genesis 3. Men sinned, and the whole creation was affected. And the reverse of that, what Jesus brings, the reverse, the inauguration of this new kingdom, of what Jesus is bringing, the reversal of Genesis 3, is that when the, when the people now are brought back to God, creation comes back we fell, creation fell. We come back, creation comes back. So the creation is waiting and groaning for the revelations of the sons of God. Because I know if the, 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 the adoption, the redemption comes from God's people, creation itself is part of that. Because we, the, the road that we're going for is of the new creation. Where we receive new bodies, but we're also in the new creation. Because the whole salvation, everything is bound up, creation and our salvation. And then Paul characterizes this uh, period of groaning, of creation groaning and us groaning and suffering. The period not only for groaning, but also a period for hope. That is not just that we're there for groaning, for, it says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. We are saved so that we can hold on to this hope. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for, for what he has seen. For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Paul is saying we need to be a people of hope. Now hope, if you talk about people, I mean there are people who 
because uh, some people use hope for their for their wicked ends or whatever. So people play around with this word, with this word hope. And then some people give, give false hope on this and, and, and people become cynical when it comes to hope. But Paul doesn't want us to be cynical when it comes to hope. I mean, I'm just remembering uh, the, the German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, he once neared, talking about hope, he says, in reality, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs men's torment. It's the worst. And there's this cynicism about hope that even creeps in into our own lives. Hope is often vilified as the thief of logic and a fool for reason. Why must you hope? But Paul is saying we need to hold on to this hope. For in this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. Christian faith is the one that is indelibly connected to hope in God. Hope in God. I like what um, commentator Michael Bird, he, he, he says about hope. He says hope is not just optimism. Rather hope is the audacity of faith under adversity. Hope is the cheering in triumph for what others deem a lost cause. Hope expiates the misery of life. Hope is a currency in the land of melancholy. Hope is the dancing when the music has long ceased. Hope is the bread for the soul that is starved. Hope is the grace to face of in the, in the face of our fears, knowing that there is someone greater than the sum of all our fears. Hope holds out a light rather than curses the dark. Hope is the physician of a terrified soul. Hope is the hero of the weak. Hope is the defiance in the face of a tyrant. That's hope. That's hope. And friends, for us, who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, hope is not, not just an abstract thing. Hope is bound up in a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is bound up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the story of the invasion of hope into the world that knows only despair and doubt. The gospel tells us about men and women doomed for hopelessness and, and a hopeless end. And then they're discovering in Christ that there's endless hope. Hope is that shameless confidence that Jesus Christ, he is who he says he is and his promises are trustworthy. Hope is bound up in the gospel. Hope is bound up in the person of Christ. Now, what does God promise us in this suffering? How do we go through this suffering? What, is he, what, what, what are the promises he's giving us in this suffering? The first one is that God is using all things, all even suffering, to make us more like Jesus. He's using all things to make us like Jesus. This is what we see in 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love the Lord, who love, who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. His, he, he has this purpose for us. We know that all things work together. In fact, uh, the right translation there is saying God is working all for good. God is working all things together 
for a purpose. What is that purpose? For us to be in the image of Christ. God's purpose in all things is to make us more like Jesus. That's a bigger purpose to make us the good there in Romans 8 for the, for the good, the good there in, in 28 is not just giving us better situations, but it's to make us a better person, a person like Jesus. A person like Jesus. God has promised to use all things to make us more like Jesus. But also, God will finish what he started in us. God will finish what he started. Those we see in 29 and 30. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of the Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among the many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Paul is not bringing these words of predestination and foreknowledge for a big theological debate. He's trying to give us assurance. He's trying to give us assurance to say, God has been at work from the foundation of the, of the earth to hold us together. And, and, and those who he has held together before then, he will hold them together until the end. He's giving us assurance. You know why? Because when suffering comes, it feels like... I'm losing myself. It's like I'm losing myself. I'm losing everything. He's saying, I'm going to finish what I started with you. What God started in you, he's going to finish it. If you show evidence of being called and justified, if you show evidence that you, you have been drawn to him, he's going to finish it in your life. He's going to finish it in your life. When you feel like you're barely holding on, be assured that he's still holding on to you. He did not choose you before the foundation of the earth because of your righteousness, because of of how well you've been doing. He chose you just because he has set his love on you. He's giving you assurance. But also, what do we do in the meantime? He's giving us this, he's saying let's hold on to hope. He's saying he's going to finish the work in our lives. He's saying he's making us like the Lord Jesus Christ. But what do we do now? What do we do in the meantime? Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as as we ought. But the Spirit himself, he intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God now remember Paul has been talking about the work of the spirit throughout the Romans 8 and he has brought out this topic of suffering to say for those of us who are in Christ who are not exempt to this but let me bring you back again to the work of the spirit in the meantime the spirit Holy Spirit is at work in us. He's groaning in us. He's he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's caring us. When we don't know what to do. I love the the, the, the prayer of Jehoshaphat in in 2 Chronicles 20 when he's praying because the armies are coming from left, right, and center. He just says, Lord, help us. We don't know what to do. It's just a lovely prayer in the Bible. How many of us have prayed that lately? I just don't know what to do. 
And Paul is saying here, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what to say, the Spirit is groaning with us. He's walking, he's, he's alongside us. In fact, he's even giving us an example to say, so for some of us, so we, we don't know what to do when people are suffering. We don't know what to do. People are, are close to us. Sometimes we just need to be there and groan with them. And groan with them. He's saying right now, the Spirit is at work. He's saying that as creation moans under the curse, and we with it, God's Spirit is groaning with us even more intensely in things too deep for words. He's groaning with us. We see the, 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 the emotion, the, the groan indi- indicates this, this deep emotion. He's feeling our pain with us. He's feeling our pain with us. He's praying for you more deeply than you're praying for yourself. He's praying more deeply than you're praying for yourself. But also, the reason why we can rely on the Spirit to be praying for us is because the Spirit prays according to the will of God. There's nothing like when you're facing suffering. It's cloudy. You don't know where to go. You don't know what's the will of God for you right now. And God is saying, at that time, the Holy Spirit will be leading and praying for you because he knows the will of God at that time for you. Here's the comfort for right now. We have the Holy Spirit groaning with us, groaning with words deep, deep, things deep for words. He's praying the will of God perfectly over us, that God's good purpose will be accomplished in us, in our lives. Friends, the assurance that the Spirit is that, that the Holy Spirit is praying for us is something we can rest on. Rest on that today. Rest on that today. Finally, as I close. I do want to acknowledge that there could be others here. As I mentioned at the beginning, just suffering is a, is a tough subject even for those who are not Christians. And there could be people here, or guests who have come, or someone who's been coming who's not a Christian, or someone who's like, actually, I mean, I don't know exactly where I stand. And those people can say, well, I like this hope. What a peaceful and comforting way to live. I like this hope you're talking about. But these things are only true, this hope, this assurance, all of these things are true because of who Jesus is. He's the only true, he's only, these things are only true for us because we have Christ. If you are outside of him, none of these promises are true for you. If you are outside of Christ, none of these promises are true for you. But they can be if you put your faith in him. They can be if you put your faith on him. And even more importantly, if Jesus is not who he says he is, none of these promises are true for us. None of, we, we are hopeless. If, 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 if Jesus is not who he says he is, let's pack our bags and go home. But if he is who he is, it changes everything. If the resurrection happened, it changes everything. 
So the question you need to wrestle with is, is not whether what's going on here or what not. Is Jesus who he says he is? Because if he is, then it changes everything. Again, looking, going back to C.S. Lewis, he says, don't come to Christianity because it's comforting. Don't come to Christianity because it's encouraging. Don't come to Christianity because it's relevant. Don't come to Christianity because it's exciting. Come to Christianity because it's true. And if it's true, it will be comforting. It will be relevant. It will be encouraging. But if you're out of outside Christ, where is your hope? Where is your hope? For those of us who are Christians, Paul is explaining our cries of sufferings are like a cries, are like those cries of, of oh, the cries we hear in the labor ward, in the delivery ward, in the hospital. It's painful, yes, but it's temporary and joy is on the horizon. That's the summary of this. Pain is there, suffering is there, but for those of us in Christ, it's almost like the, ward, the, 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 labor, the labor ward, you're hearing cries, you're hearing sufferings, but it's for a moment. There's glory next. But for those who are outside Christ, the cries of pain are like the ones coming from someone in the same hospital, but someone who knows they are dying. There's nothing that can happen. Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. He has come and lived the life you should have lived. He has died the death that you should have died because of your sin. He has resurrected. He has conquered death, Satan and the evil one. And he's inviting us into this newness of life. But he says in this life, we're going to glory. But there will be suffering. Hold on. Don't lose your hope. The Spirit is with you. He's going to intercede. God is going to finish what he started. All things are going to work together to make you more like Jesus. Because only Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Only Jesus has overcome the grave. Only he can overturn all the bad things for good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we could open up your word even on this difficult, tough subject of suffering. Lord, uh, we thank you that you don't leave us in darkness about this. That we don't have to wonder. We don't have to wake up at night wondering, what is this? Why is this happening? But Lord, you want to encourage us. That while we live in this fallen world, you have given us your spirit. And your spirit is at work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And Lord, that you will not drop us. You will carry us through. Lord, I pray for my friends here this afternoon. Those who come doubting. Those who came even this afternoon with despair. Those who have come this afternoon saying, I've had enough. Things are not going my way. Lord, would you hold on to them? Would you strengthen them today? Would you make the gospel beautiful once again in their lives? Because we pray in Jesus' name.